it's pretty clear we're at like a very pivotal moment in how we build stuff on the web at all. You know, the web started with like static files and then, you know, kind of like the web app architecture developed with like databases and web servers and, you know, the security layers and so forth that like Netscape and others, you know, did a lot of work in the 90s to develop. And that and that's just kind of been it for the last like 25 years. And what we've seen though is that you know, there's been a huge shift from kind of the LAMP stack and like single server, you know, monolithic architectures to sort of more serverless cloud managed services and functions, etc. that you're more like stitching together stuff from like a bunch of different like hosted services. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your ideas to the next level. We trust Linode because they keep it fast and they keep it simple. Check them out at linode.com changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Change Logo podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators in the world of software. I'm Adam Stachowiak, editor-in-chief here at ChangeLog. On today's show, Gatsby creator Count Matthews joins the show. He's talking to Jared about the launch of incremental builds, telling the story about this feature. It's three years in the making. They cover Kyle's vision for Gatsby, why incremental builds took so long, why it's not part of the open source tooling, and how he makes decisions between cloud and open source features. joined by Kyle Matthews from Gatsby. Kyle was on Founders Talk a couple years ago now, back in 2018. Of course, we covered Gatsby as well with Jason Langsdorf, also back in 2018. And we've had Gatsby on JS Party just recently. But we're here with Kyle, uh, creator of Gatsby, to talk about what's been going on in this brand new thing, Incremental Build, which you just launched today, right? As we record yeah. this, the 22nd of April. Congrats, big launch day. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. You bet. So before we get into all that, let's talk about launching stuff because you just did it. Mm-hmm. What goes into a launch in your business and in your stress life and how did it go today? <laughs> Tell, share me your feels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's intense. I mean, you know, there's just any big release. There's just a ton of work that goes into, you know, getting it to this point. And incremental builds is is by far the biggest thing we've launched in our company history. Uh, I mean, we've been working towards it for like three and a half years, you know, since I started uh, designing Gatsby V1 back in uh, 2016. Yeah, and like there's been like four or five engineers, you know, working full-time on it like the last like six, eight months. And like we were wow. doing a lot of kind of preparatory projects before that. And then, yeah, and just like the the marketing team, the DevRel team, et cetera, you know, the sales team have been working on stuff, you know, for, for weeks and months, you know, preparing for it. So it's a lot of work, you know, there's a lot of like, how are people going to respond? Is there something like glaringly wrong that, we, you know, it's like that we're going to have to be scrambling to fix after it gets out. So you prepare as much as you can and you hope for the best. And mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of like cross your fingers and, you know, close your eyes and step across the threshold and see what happens. That's right. Hit publish. Yeah. So were there any fires in the last 24, 48 hours? Was there any blowback yet? It's just been a few hours out right now. So it's probably yeah. early reactions yeah. seem positive from what I'm reading on Twitter. Yeah. But what about fires? Was there anything that went wrong or uh, marketing Not- copy that needs to be changed? You know, the little <laughs> stuff that you forget about. 
There was a Two typos, I think, in the blog okay. post that somehow made it through the dozens of reviews we did. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm like, every time I'm like, wow, it's really good. And then I review it again the next day. And I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible still. But yeah, it was actually really uh, kind of charming and nice that like the first OSS maintainer that we hired uh, after mm-hmm. we got funding, uh, who's also like the OSS you know, engineering manager for a while, he left recently to... I don't know, relax. He's a pretty casual contractor engineer. So he's like, whoa, two years straight out of company. That's a long time. Anyways, he, he found the typo and like did a PR. And so all of us were like super excited to see that from him. Nice. But yeah, generally speaking, it's been pretty smooth. Uh, we've been testing it for a few months, you know, with customers and like a lot of like test sites. So we were, you know, we, we were pretty confident with things. Uh, and yeah, so far it's been smooth, which is great. Very cool. Let's back out, zoom out, talk about Gatsby writ large, what it is, why it's interesting, why you founded a business around it, as well as an open source project. Of course, this has to be executive summary. You can do the full founders talk if you're interested, <laughs> listeners. We'll link that in the show notes. But tell us, first of all, the Gatsby elevator pitch, and then we'll get into the executive summary of Gatsby Inc. and where we are. Sure, yeah. Basically, it's just, it's pretty clear we're at like a very pivotal moment in how we build stuff on the web at all. It's like, you know, the web started with like static files and then, you know, kind of like the web app architecture developed with like databases and web servers and, Mm -hmm. you know, the security layers and so forth that like Netscape and others, you know, did a lot of work in the 90s to develop. And that's just kind of been it for the last like 25 years. And what we've seen though is that you know, there's been a huge shift from kind of the LAMP stack and like single server, you know, monolithic architectures to sort of more serverless cloud with like managed services and functions, et cetera, that you're more like stitching together stuff from like a bunch of different like hosted services. Right. If you look at a lot of other applications, a lot of people have kind of other areas of software. A lot of things have moved that direction. But like websites largely are still on CMSs. You know, if you look at like WordPress, like WordPress is growing faster like right now than it ever has. You know, it's like, it's like just like eating through the web, you know, it's like growing two, three percent a year or something like something like a third of sites now, isn't it? Or somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's adding like another percentage or two or something every year yeah. um, these days. It's just interesting to see that the web is still dominated by this old monolithic lamp stack error kind of architecture. Dynamic server rendered web pages, right? Yeah, with caching and so forth. But everyone else has moved more towards like hosted cloud type stuff. So Gatsby is you know, we believe that's where websites should go too, because there's a ton of advantages towards using like managed services versus, you know, kind of download and maintain it yourself. It's just like way easier. It's a way lower effort to, you know, scaffold and evolve and, and, and run software like this. And so Gatsby is an effort to take the web that direction. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we like to say it's like, what would WordPress look like if it was invented in 2020? Mm-hmm. And for sure, it wouldn't look like it is now, you know. Well, we see WordPress even trying to morph to a certain degree with the headless style and WordPress API. Yeah. So even WordPress itself, which was what around the turn of the century, right, 2000 era, mm-hmm. is morphing in certain ways. And of course, it's going to be a hybrid, but it's going towards that uh-huh. and saying, well, you can use us this way because people have seen the advantages that I'm sure you're about to enumerate. Yeah. And so we see older established players like WordPress offering these things. But if WordPress was invented today or even back a few years ago when you started Gatsby, surely Matt would have made it different. He would have architected it quite different is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Like CMSs, because like traditional CMSs, they 
have like multiple concerns. They have sort of the, the content piece and the content management pieces, and they have like the presentation layer, you know, right. the templates and database queries and the caching layers to actually serve the website. And so the world that Gatsby lives in, those two layers are split from each other. And so you still have the CMS. Like Gatsby works really great with WordPress. And we hired two kind of WordPress veterans, including like the founder of WP GraphQL, to continue working on that and like mm-hmm. build a really tight integration between Gatsby and WordPress. And so it's like we're going to have like incremental build support for WordPress to do pretty soon. And uh, but yeah, and so so in WordPress in the Gatsby world is just another potential backend source of data for driving your website. So the advantages of Gatsby is all in the. Well, not all, but the main win for static sites in general and for uh, Jamstack and like this style architected sites is they're user oriented, right? They live near to the user. Mm -hmm. They have already been compiled. So you're not asking your user to wait for that render. Mm -hmm. It's all out there. And that's really where Gatsby began to shine back when we had Jason on the show. Uh, I had an aha moment on that show because I had been reading Gatsby's marketing pages and I'm coming from somebody who's been using, you know, Jekyll and mm-hmm. looking at all these things for years. And when I saw that Gatsby was like this blazing fast thing built with React and GraphQL, so I saw the React and the GraphQL, but also like Gatsby was blazing fast, mm-hmm. which by the way, that's what everybody says their things are today. They're all blazing <laughs> fast. So we need new marketing terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 were there early, but now it's gotten a little saturated. So Oh yeah, I even wrote a, a skeptic's guide to developer marketing <laughs> terms yeah. on uh, changelog.com because there's so many that are just repeated uh, ad nauseum. Anyways, uh, it was supposed to be blazing fast. I was talking to Jason and he kept talking about the lighthouse scores and like all these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's another one that's fast. It's Hugo. Hugo's really yeah. fast <laughs> because, you know, you hit compile or build mm-hmm. and my Jekyll blog of a thousand-ish posts takes a minute and a half, and Hugo on that same content mm-hmm. takes four seconds. And so that's, how fast is Gatsby? And Jason was like, no, 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 no. It's not fast <laughs> there. It's fast, yeah. the produced thing, which arguably, and they're both important, but the yeah. most important place is where it's the fastest. And even back then, it was like, yeah, but what about my builds? Because I'm, yeah. I'm using it as a developer. And he was like, well, we're working on that. We're working on that. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that uh, even back then, my aha moment was, okay, Gatsby isn't fast on the build necessarily faster than any other players Mm -hmm. in the static site generator space. It's faster on the produced assets, and that's great. Um, But when it comes to building, we still have this, it's not really a catch-22, something to get a hurdle. We have a hurdle, which you guys have been working on. So explain why that's there, why build times for these types of tools grows as your as your site grows yeah so you know as you're kind of alluded to it's like pre-rendering or pre-building your site is an awesome kind of way to run a website because you don't have to worry about like kind of operating the website it's like you know a bunch of files sitting on the cdn can't go down because you don't have running code right you're de-risking it right you're not yeah. there's nothing to nothing that can break in the request response lifecycle because there's no logic there. It's just like I'm serving assets. Yeah, and you can't hack it because there's no code to like hack into. Like all of the actual running code is either on a CI server or like behind a firewall. You know, like the CMSs are, are, are yeah. you know well protected. Yeah, and it's like you can handle any sort of traffic spike uh, because you know you're just on a shared CDN and they're seeing a million times your traffic, whatever your site gets. And 
the website is pushed all around the world, like the CDNs take care of it. So there's a lot of cool stuff about the model. But yeah, the traditional kind of downside is the build time. Right. And in the blog post, the launch blog post today, we kind of went into like the kind of the history of, of these two pathways, you know, where you have database-driven websites versus kind of pre-built, statically rendered websites. And this has been sort of the traditional dichotomy on the web. Mm. And it's interesting, too, because like the early days of the web, everyone thought that like pre-building was going to win. And like if you look at like kind of movable type versus like WordPress, like that was a big battle in sort of the early, mid, late 2000s. And, mm-hmm. and people are like, yeah, movable type, like that just makes so much sense. You know, it's like it's easy and scalable to host. It's faster. The websites are faster. But yeah, the problem that everyone ran into is that it's like the build times just sort of grew. So like you could like start out a project and it was fine. But then at some point, you, you know, your build times would be untenable and you'd have to like switch off to like WordPress or something like that. And WordPress made the bet that they're like, hey, with Moore's Laws and other stuff like that, like WordPress is going to be fast enough that we can just rely on this sort of dynamic rendering model with caching. As history showed, it kind of worked, proved out. Yeah. But yeah, so what we've been working towards is in like, you know, when I went into like thinking about working on Gatsby full time and like making it a thing and raising money, et cetera, like we were very aware of this this sort of dichotomy in that you know database driven websites had won because they're much faster and easier to update. Right. But we saw that like there's just like another you know option there that it wasn't just like those two options because you know uh, before Gatsby I worked a lot on kind of like streaming architectures like stream processing and, and type stuff. Okay. You know, using Kafka and, and other tools like that. And these are kind of like new models that, you know, kind of like in the big data world have replaced like the batch processing model. And so instead of, you know, nightly or every hour running a process to kind of like regenerate a bunch of data, mm-hmm. architectures like Kafka, they allow you to process data as it comes in. So it's like data is streaming through and like through like some clever programming techniques, you can like update things very cheaply on the fly. And so that your kind of derived data is updated in real time. So my thought back then was like, okay, that could apply really well to websites. Because like, what is a website other than a sort of like the most recent view of a long series of events, you know? So it's like code changes, data changes, et cetera, that mm-hmm. get turned, processed into something that's like served out to the users. Hmm. So like static sites are kind of like the batch processing model. And then yeah. like database-driven sites are sort of the, you know, generate on the fly, but like yeah. cash expensive things so that you're not overwhelming things, you know, types of. So those are kind of like the two models on the web. I was like, well, why isn't there also an, op- you know, kind of an opening for sort of a stream processing model where instead of rebuilding the whole thing every so often, you just sort of very develop a model to like very lightly update stuff on the fly. Because then you get the benefits of, you know, it's like cached, you know, it's like the, the view is up right. to date and cached and it's like cheap to generate. But you also get the benefits of it's like real time. You're not like delayed by an hour or a day or whatever the arbitrary. You're not batching. Yeah, the arbitrary kind of batch update time is. Right. Yeah, so that's what incremental builds is. It's the idea is that you can kind of like blend the models of sort of dynamically generated websites, you know, that are database driven with the kind of pre-rendering, pre-build static delivery model. But you have a build process which is kind of patterned after this like stream processing ideas that can very quickly, very cheaply update the entire website um, every time like a new change event comes in. So it's like, you know, we get a webhook from a CMS saying, hey, something changed. 
we take that you know data and we figure out using uh, Gatsby's sort of data engine mm-hmm. um, which pages need to be rebuilt, and we rebuild those like five pages or whatever it may be, and then push those out to the CDN. And that process you know takes like seconds um, with our with uh, the new incremental builds we launched. How much time does your team spend building and maintaining internal tooling? I'm talking about those behind the scenes apps, the ones no one else sees. The S3 uploader you built last year for the marketing team, that quick Firebase admin panel that lets you monitor key KPIs, maybe even the tool your data science team hacked together so they could provide custom ad spend analytics. Now these are tools you need so you build them and that makes sense. But the question is, could you have built them in less time, with less effort, and less overhead and maintenance required? And the answer to that question is yes. That's where Retool comes in. Rohan Chopra, Engineering Director at DoorDash, has this to say about Retool. Quote, The tools we've been able to quickly build with Retool have allowed us to empower and scale our local operators, all while reducing the dependency on engineering. End quote. Now, the internal tooling process at DoorDash was bogged down with manual data entry, missed handoffs, and long turnaround times. And after integrating Retool, DoorDash was able to cut the engineering time required to build tools by a factor of 10x and eliminate the error-prone manual processes that plague their workflows. They were able to empower backend engineers who wouldn't otherwise be able to build front ends from scratch. And these engineers were able to build fully functional apps in Retool in hours, not days or weeks. Your next step is to try it free at retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. So incremental builds was really part of your vision all the way back when you started it. You mentioned that to the new stack that like this has kind of been the vision, perhaps even your early pitches to investors was like, look, I need to build this engine. Mm-hmm. The obvious question for me, somebody who's not having to build it, but somebody who's just been waiting for it is what's taking so long? Why is it so complicated? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, so this is definitely part of the vision from the get-go. What take it so long? Yeah, it's a super fair question. I mean, I mean, we certainly didn't anticipate it taking this long. I'd say it's like a couple things like... It is like a super hard technical problem, mm-hmm. which, you know, as we dove in deeper and deeper to the problem, it's just remarkable how many things can trip up fast builds. It's like we just like kind of approach the problem with like different types of, you know, source data and, and different types of pages, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just like been one problem after another. Can you give us a, a peek into that world? Like, I can see and I've solved technical problems, never anything that's mm-hmm. taken multiple years. As I've dove into technical problems, I've seen the layers unpack and like mm-hmm. you turn a corner and here's a brand new thing you never considered. And actually it has implications for these seven other things you thought you had in the can. Yeah. Can you give an example? I mean, I imagine the most straightforward problematic case of an incremental build, in my opinion, as a, as a person who hasn't had to solve this problem is... I have all these pages, they have dependencies, right, of certain yeah. data. I update a footer, and it has to update these 75,000 pages or something. Mm-hmm. And so like knowing that all these pages share this footer data, mm-hmm. but if I change this one topic tag, actually that's only seven pages. Like the dependency graph, I can see where that's complicated, but what else is there? Is there other dragons that you have to defeat as you go down this pit? 
Yeah, the dependency graph is the largest part because it, it, it's just making sure that, yeah, you can track the implication of every change. Right. And then identify the shortest amount of stuff that uh, needs to be done. So like last summer, for example, an engineer spent like two months refactoring how we associate data with pages because before that we were sort of like there's some data that was just sort of like affecting most pages or all pages, which meant that any any data change like made a trivial change to all pages, you know, which of course breaks uh, incremental builds because you need to be able to say only change these seven files. But that meant, you know, that just sort of like baked in a whole bunch of different places. And so, you know, kind of reversing that and like kind of getting the DAG clean, you know, mm-hmm. took a while. Also, it's like Gatsby builds do a ton of stuff. You know, we source data from n number of places. You know, it goes into this like data transformation pipeline. And so like markdown is getting converted to HTML and, you know, images are getting processed and, um, you know, a variety of other kind of like possible transformations happen. And so uh, we also are like taking the data that's generated from all these different like sourcing and transformation steps and then generating a GraphQL schema. And then with that GraphQL schema, we then run queries. And so there's just like a lot of moving pieces. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest challenges that uh, the team has faced like this last uh, while is kind of like helping all these pieces like coordinate with each other, you know, so that it's like a smooth deterministic process for like boink, 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 you know, hits this and so forth. So one of the biggest ones we've done is we've been steadily moving more and more kind of Gatsby internals to X state, which, uh, you know, kind of like a state machine gives us a lot more predictability around coordinating all these different kind of moving parts. Mm. And so that's that's proved really helpful both to just kind of like visualize what's going on. Yeah. Because, you know, if you have like seven different subsystems all talking to each other and kind of interacting with each other, it's like the X state visualizer is very helpful for that. But then also just sort of like lockdown stuff. And so we had a bunch of kind of event emitter type things yeah. that were going on before. And so something would finish and be like, I'm done. And then... You know, three other things might do it. And so it's like you kind of get these like loops going where to like do it multiple times or anyways, it's just a lot of inefficiencies and and bugs and race conditions that would pop out of that. And a lot of that, you know, didn't show up with regular builds. That was part of the problem, too, is that all this stuff in a regular build, it's much more just like, you know, go through. But then with incremental builds, you're now keeping the cast around. And so there's a lot of things that that are already there. And so. It's like all the random kind of like side effects that might be popping around that, that add extra time. Like they don't mean as much in the context of like a five-minute build. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to get, you know, incremental build times like under 10 seconds or under five seconds. Was that your threshold? Did you set out with a threshold of time? Yeah. And said we got to maintain this threshold? Yeah, 10 seconds from, you know, content person pressing save in the CMS to it being live on the website is, is sort of our kind of gold standard gotcha. for what we're doing. So I ask you to zoom out again because I think you and I might share some context that the listener might mm-hmm. with regards to Gatsby's data engine, mm-hmm. the GraphQL-based data engine, and how it allows you to slurp in data from all these different sources. Uh-huh. I understand yeah. that. You, you sincerely understand that. Yeah. Maybe explain that so that everybody understands why some of these things that you're explaining uh, may make more sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a great question. So kind of going back to where I was mentioning earlier that 
websites are moving from a monolithic CMS to sort of like a distributed CMS, or we like to call it like a content mesh that, you know, previously, you know, your, your front end was kind of like directly tied to your back end. So if you're writing PHP or you're writing, sorry, if you're working in like WordPress or Drupal, you know, you have sort of like a built-in data access layer. You know, you don't have to like do anything special. Like the data just shows up in your templates. But once you go distributed, the question is, well, how do you get the data from wherever it is to your website in the right format you want into your templates and then off to the user? And do that, you know, consistently and uh, quickly and like it's not hard to set up. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so, so the solution that we've arrived at is this like idea of source plugins. And so that any sort of anything that has an API, mm-hmm. uh, you can write a source plugin for. And then, and so I think there's like 400 plus uh, source plugins now for Gatsby, which includes, you know, all the normal kind of CMS suspects, but a lot of things that you wouldn't even really think of as like a CMS or sort of a source for data, but actually in practice turn out to be quite useful. Like Airtable, like Airtable, Airtable, Google Spreadsheets, a lot of like Greenhouse, you know, for like application tracking systems Mm. is one of our most popular source plugins actually, because a lot of, you know, companies build their websites with Gatsby and then they have a careers page. And then whenever they add a new job to it, it just automatically shows up on the careers page. And when they close the job, you know, it disappears. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So it's like it normalizes all these different data sources, mm-hmm. and they could be a file system, it could be a database, it could be an API, it could be Airtable. Yeah. And as long as they have a source plugin, or you can write your own source plugin for whatever data source, Gatsby can slurp that up and use it on the other side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've seen larger sites that have you know million plus like nodes is what we call it, like into each individual piece of data that comes mm-hmm. in, and so tracking all that data and tracking like the you know the dependency graph from like the data to pages gets to be pretty complicated. And that's where a lot of the engineering work has gone into is making that all efficient and scalable and deterministic and uh, you know very, very fast. So that does help understand why it has taken a significant <laughs> yeah. amount of time. Probably yeah. your investors want to know probably, you know, when is this going to be out there? How much uh, ask us down, yeah, yeah. how much do we have to spend to get this thing built? The other question that your users probably are wondering, and I've seen a few of them wonder on Twitter in reaction to this. Mm -hmm. And the question that I think plagues most businesses that have an open source project at their core or as a major component is, this is part of your cloud offering. Mm -hmm. This is a paid thing. This is not part of the open source project. What's up with Mm -hmm. that? And so were there technical reasons? I mean, the the explanation to me, it seems like there probably are, but are there technical reasons why incremental builds is cloud-based? Or are there only business reasons? It's primarily technical. It's like, you know, to make this work right, it requires like kind of tight coordination between the CI service and kind of distributed workers, because we mm-hmm. paralyze a lot of work across like functions, plus like deploying to the CDNs. So, like, you know, to get, you know, like the demo video that I put into the launch blog post in the tweet, you know, it had me clicking and contentful. It had a three second build. And then it's immediately, you know, live on the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of like extreme kind of real-time build speed is only possible with very tight coordination and kind of like purpose-built infrastructure that, you know, is, is deliberately created around like the Gatsby build process. Because the infrastructure is running the build. Yeah, yeah. And so that infrastructure is, you know, part and parcel, I guess, of our, of our offering, you know. right. It's like purpose-built for that, and it's super valuable. 
But I mean, all the other kind of pieces, it's like, you know, to do incremental builds, Gatsby has actually done, like, has been incremental in the sense that we, like, cache stuff between builds, you know? So, like, mm. if you have the cache there, it doesn't redo a lot of the work for, you know, since V1, you know, so for, like, the last, like, three years. But the problem is, is that most places that people do Gatsby builds, you know, there's, like, hundreds of thousands of Gatsby sites, you know, out there and all sorts running all sorts of different places. Yeah. The problem is that it's just, it's like, it's like CI services can, you know, retain cache between uh, builds, but it's often, like, an extra step. And then they don't do it very efficiently. Like most of them sort of like tar up your cache and like throw it off to S3 and then restore it. And so it's fine, it works. And like you can like easily achieve with Gatsby build speeds of, you know, 45 seconds to two mm-hmm. minutes, you know, for many sites. But to get to five seconds, you know, requires something deliberately built for Gatsby. Gotcha. And, you know, when we raise money, we knew that this was possible and we knew that no one else was going to build it because like no one else there, you know, most people that do CI stuff, it's like kind of generic services that are meant with a wide range of software. And we knew that'd be really valuable for the web, you know, that there's something like this that exists that that's kind of like, you know, balances kind of dynamic nature of database driven sites with kind of the ease of operation, security and speed uh, of static sites. And yeah. And so we, we, we thought that this, this, this approach made a lot of sense. Um, and make a lot of people happy. So along the way, you have published some experimental optimizations in the open Mm -hmm. source package. It looks like this is like a flag you have to turn on. Uh So is this what you're talking about when you say it does do incremental builds or it does, maybe you call it smart builds. I don't know. It caches things it can in the CLI or in the build tool. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? The experimental page build optimizations for incremental data changes? Yeah, that was so. There was a PR that a community member did recently, and uh, our, our OSS team worked with. It's a company that's doing like a, a larger Gatsby site, and so they were like, "Hey, let's like increase the build speed." Yeah. And so they added a PR to cache kind of like HTML builds. So that that was like a, an example of yeah, it's like you know of all the things that Gatsby does in the build process, that was one of the things that wasn't being cached, and then with that, you know, it, it reduces the amount of work. And that was awesome. And that's that's experimental right now behind a flag. We'll probably make that, you know, the default in V3. But even before that, like we've cached a lot of the other parts. So for example, you know, transformation of data. So like markdown to HTML, for example, is fairly computationally expensive. And like image transformation is like, you know, very computationally yeah, expensive. Sure. Um, running queries is kind of expensive, but like at scale it gets expensive. And so those three things have always been cached. And so, you know, when we launched Gatsby Builds uh, in January, you know, we launched and we, we had benchmarks that show that, you know, Gatsby Builds was faster. You know, this was like pre-incremental builds, but it was already faster uh, by like 10, 20x over uh, other services. And it was largely just because, you know, we kept the cache around on disk so that you would get a container and mm-hmm. we'd run your build, and the next time you know there's a build, it would just run it again right into the same container. So there was no waiting for the cache to come from somewhere. Yeah. Um, it just start up, the cache was fully there. And because of that, yeah, it was just dramatically faster. Which is just the difference between a purpose-built tool and a generic tool, right? Yeah. Because exactly, on a generic yeah. CI, who's going to do your build for you, you get a container, it's going to do all the same mm-hmm. things, only that container is probably going to go away between builds, or it's not, it doesn't know the Gatsby bits, or it doesn't, it's not aware of the Gatsby bits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and because, you know, we maintain Gatsby and Gatsby Cloud, 
you know, we can continue to do optimizations on both sides to, you know, kind of get to that point where people consistently see, you know, sub 10 second build times. Yeah. So we had Frank Karlacek on the show a couple of months back. He's from NextCloud. I'm not sure if you've heard of NextCloud. Oh, okay. But they started off as own cloud, which was is a personal cloud software. Mm-hmm. And they were open core. Own cloud was open core. Mm-hmm. And they ran into nonstop issues of determining what goes into the open source edition and what goes into the enterprise edition or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. And they butted up against their community in many places because there was such an enthusiastic community, which I think Gatsby has as well, mm-hmm. that their community would implement things and it would actually go against their own business model. Yeah. He actually <laughs> yeah. started a brand new company called NestCloud, which mm-hmm. was, he calls 100% open source, mm-hmm. not open core. It's interesting with tools like these where you kind of have like an open source project. It's not open core, mm-hmm. but it kind of is in a sense because you have a SaaS that's basically providing features on top of or a you know a build tool, which is kind of a SaaS. And so I'm wondering how often you run into these similar problems. Here's a situation where your community members built something cool mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, let's slurp that up and make that part of Gatsby. Mm-hmm. But have you struggled like with decision making around where do we monetize? Where do we just give things away and and how do I strike that balance without alienating people or making my investors mad? This is a classic problem in open source, you know, yeah. for open source commercial companies. Because yeah, I mean, open source is not cheap to to create. You know, we right. we're spending three plus million dollars a year, you know, paying engineers, designers, et cetera, to work on Gatsby. It's like a very complicated piece of software already. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting ever more complicated. Yeah, and like we have investors who expect us to <laughs> make money, and right. anyways, and we, we we want to turn this into kind of a sustainable business that that can keep investing more and more in Gatsby and in kind of the overall experience for for building web applications and sites. So, the model we've kind of arrived at is is kind of like called like open cloud. Okay, and it's different than like open core because open core came from more the era where you know, the expectation was you download the software and run it on your own servers. And, you know, with kind of the rise of more kind of like cloud services type things, you know, a lot of open source companies are kind of turning to a model where they're, they kind of develop the the capabilities of being the best in the world at running the open source software Mm -hmm. and kind of providing, you know, various sort of cloud services around it that people need. And a kind of a really great example of this that not a lot of people think about is uh, GitHub, because GitHub is a commercial open source company. You know, it took Git, which is you know a phenomenal open source project, right. and then they added hosting. Like they're super good at hosting very large Git repositories. You never even think about it. You just like Git push and pull, and it just well, except for the outage yesterday and last week. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> it's okay. I actually I was going to say the phenomenal, but well, maybe not. Anyways, they're pretty good though, all the same. And they offered like the hosting, the infrastructure, right? Because it's sort of annoying to like set up a VM or something and pop Git on it and like keep it secure and do backups and all the other crap that you have to do to to run Git. And they added like collaboration. You know, like the, they invented the whole pull review cycle, which is like right. you know, revolutionized how we do software. And I think that model of you know providing infrastructure for open source and providing sort of like collaboration around the open source is kind of the the model that that balances you know kind of like the freedom and hackability aspects of open source that people love with the need to create a sustainable business model because a cloud service is just not something that any user 
Because the, the problem with open source is when the commercial entity has like similar ambitions and goals and, and capabilities as the right. user. Because then there's that conflict. Because like, well, why would I, you know, buy your 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 silly little add-on when I can just write it myself? It's kind of silly. But you know, in GitHub's case, do that many people really want to run their own Git server right. and like learn how to do backups and security and everything else? Like. There's some, but it's like an infinitesimally small percentage. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, it's like, does an agency that's like, you know, building Gatsby sites, do they want to set up a Kubernetes cluster to run Gatsby builds and monitor it and all that jazz? Like, and, and there's a handful, but, you know, again, it's like an infinitesimally small percentage of that. And also, it's just like by combining our deep expertise in Gatsby and sort of, you know, the deep expertise and capabilities, you know, we're gaining in like running cloud services, it's a very powerful combination that we can continue to kind of optimize both together and provide like a really, really superior service to people that are using Gatsby. Yeah, and then like the collaboration bits, it's like there's all sorts of stuff that we can do that like once we're tied into your kind of development and content workflows, you know, there's a ton of things that we can do to make the experience phenomenal, you know, not just for the developers, but the designers and content people and marketers, et cetera. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that, we think is a great balance for everyone because Gatsby, the open source bits are 100% open source. You know, we're not holding anything out of it. Right. But how we do the builds is kind of intimately tied into our cloud service and optimized so that everything is just humming along. You know, like the connections to, you know, like when you set up a CMS, we manage that for you so that it's like sending the right webhooks with the right, you know, because like. You know, a lot of these services, they'll let you like embed information into the webhooks. And so we do everything to like optimize the what they send and how we pull the latest data so that we can opt. You know, so it's just like this big complicated chain of events that have to happen, mm-hmm. you know, to have really fast builds. And we optimize all that for you. And we, and we develop a lot of, you know, again, like sophistication capability around that, which no individual developer of, you know, working on a web project with Gatsby would ever do. And it's, anyways, it's just sort of like it's sort of a, it's like we develop this capability and we can offer it at scale to anybody who wants to use Gatsby for a very reasonable price. And then anyone using Gatsby can like hack at it all they want and do whatever they want with it. We, we think that's like a really great balance for people. I'm Jared Santo, JS Party's producer and one of nine regular voices you'll hear on the show. We are a party-themed podcast, so fun is at the heart of every episode. One way we keep things fun is by mixing it up and trying new things. We play games like JS Jeopardy. This gives you access to an outer function scope from inside an inner function. Oh, I think that, never mind. <laughs> Global scope? Incorrect, Yeah, I didn't think so. Debate hot topics like should websites work without JS? I'm going to appeal to authority and read some quotes at this time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've lost complete control of this panel. Go ahead, okay. Ross. The first quote, no code is faster than code. Discuss and analyze the news. Yeah, this reminds me of when you're playing Pokemon and you have like, you know, an electric Pokemon versus a water Pokemon and you try like an attack. Share wisdom we've collected over the years. To be honest, a lot of what we rely on is pretty garbage (laughs) 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 and like i I mean i wrote some of it so it's okay like i can say this interview amazing devs like john resig and amelia wattenberger and a whole lot more oh and did i mention we record the show live we do you can be part of the hijinks each and every thursday at changeon.com slash live 
This is JS Party. Please listen to a recent episode that piques your interest and subscribe today. We'd love to have you with us. So I like the GitHub comparison. I think what I'm learning over time as I talk to all these people who are in open source and in software and trying to figure out the balance and mm-hmm. what works for them is it just is not a one size fits all solution to this problem because there's so much nuance. When you say open source, even it's like that doesn't even mean we all share the same license. Like that doesn't really mean much at all. And so mm-hmm. you have to drill down and you have to see, well, this circumstance is actually slightly different because of the nature of their customers. And this one's different because mm-hmm. of that. So I think that's just fascinating to, to talk to people like yourself who've figuring out what's working for your open source project and your mm-hmm. business and where to optimize uh, for your mm-hmm. customers and your users. GitHub's an interesting point. You mentioned they took Git and they added hosting. What's interesting about Gatsby is you've taken Gatsby and you've added building, mm-hmm. but y'all aren't hosting. Right. Is that right. just for now? Is that because you don't want to run a CDN? I'm just curious. It seems like an obvious next step. Yeah. We're definitely going to continue to tighten our integrations with CDNs. But what's interesting is like CDNs are phenomenally complicated <laughs> to, to build and run. So most people who say they do hosting are actually outsourcing it to somebody else. Like Firebase even, you know, doesn't do their own hosting. Like as far as I know, like Fastly uh, is running their hosting. Hmm. And like, you know, the company formerly known as Zite is using Cloudflare. Like Netlify is, I think, the only one that actually has their own CDN. But even then, I mean, they're relying on like a open source project like Traffic Server, I believe, out of Yahoo. Sure. But as a, from a customer's perspective, the buck stops with Netlify, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not going to yeah. go turn to their partners and say, hey, you're going to say my website's down. And that, that's their problem. So they might be white labeling or, mm-hmm. I mean, Heroku was built on AWS, right? Yeah. So... A fair point. So you could do that. You could say, well, we've got a great partner. We can mm-hmm. we can be on top of Netlify or we can be on top of AWS and be Gatsby hosting mm-hmm. without the complication. Yeah, yeah. So our plans roughly are, we think that owning your own infrastructure and having control there is something that a lot of people want. So our goal is to have just like we have, you know, we're like, you can use any CMS and we treat them all kind of the same. Yeah. You can also deploy from Gatsby Cloud to, you know, any CDN. So right now we deploy to five different kind of deploy targets, what we call them. And there's like three more, I think, that's on our short list uh, to add. And we, we think that's really important because, you know, for a lot of teams, they already have something set up. You know, they have contracts with the, like CDNs. They have infrastructure in AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. And, you know, the website is like an important part of that, but just part of that. So we want them to choose Gatsby and we also want them to choose Gatsby Cloud. And we also want them to be able to continue running their infrastructure as they're used to. And so we can like push to an S3 bucket or, or whatever it is that they, you know, that they that they want to do. But for kind of the more, there is like a large percentage of people that just want us to handle it. So that is something that we're planning on doing in the future. Gotcha. But, you know, as, as you know, we just barely launched last November um, with Gatsby Cloud at all, and then Gatsby Builds in January, and now this. And so it's kind of one thing at a time. Yeah, that makes sense as a not a priority, but I don't think mm-hmm. it makes sense as a never do. Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the CMS side? So the other integration side would be, well, what about 
Gatsby CMS because now, uh -huh. you know, maybe you can integrate better than, you know, you can write your data sources better or whatever. Maybe you uh -huh. have great UX um, and you could offer that as an option alongside Contentful and the other CMSs out there. That question comes up a ton. Mm -hmm. And I guess my, my most common response to that is like, which CMS would we build if we, you know, built a CMS? Because there isn't a one-size-fits-all like CMS. It's like if you look at the CMS market, it's insanely fragmented. And the reason for that is that there's just like, like the idea of managing content and data yeah. can go so many different directions. You know, there's, you know, Google Spreadsheet to greenhouse, you know, for, for job applications. And because like content, it's not just like the content, but it's like the workflows and permissions totally. and, and everything around it that has to fit within the context of the team that's maintaining that that content and data. So, you know, so yeah, so the question for us is always like, well, we don't have any particular expertise in that. And mm -hmm. anything that we build would only fit for some subset of the market. And so our thought is instead of building a quote-unquote CMS, it's like we develop the capacity to kind of package together, you know, Gatsby Plus CMSs into something that's like, you know, very, kind of like feels like a coherent thing. Um, the analogy I like to use is it's like CMSs were like mainframes, you know, where back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, you know, early 80s, you'd have computer companies that would like, build a computer from scratch. You know, they would like develop a lot of the hardware, they'd write all the system software, they'd write all the user land software. It was just like this massive operation and then they'd like ship you like boom, here's your here's your, you know, one ton computer. And they were super expensive, you know, like hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, um, even in in those years, dollars. And then the you know the PC revolution happened, which was that IBM developed a spec for how these like different pieces could fit together. And then from that kind of like common spec for how the different modular pieces like talk to each other, mm -hmm. there's just like hundreds of different PC, you know, kind of SKUs that came yeah. out of that, you know, aiming all the way from, you know, high-end business uses to, you know, poor college student to, you know, every, every other little niche in between. Right. And that idea of going from like monoliths to modular units that are packaged together like, is really appealing to us because, you know, it's like, why develop a solution that just fits in some slice of the market where we can just take Gatsby plus whatever subset of CMSs makes sense for the use case of, you know, the company organization that needs a website yeah. and then work with our partners, you know, at the CMSs to, to kind of package things together really nicely. So that's like really streamlined to start new projects, to use it and, and, and manage it and so forth. And so we've already done quite a bit around kind of our preview workflows where, you know, you'll have a CMS and then like they click preview and it like pops open a preview, like kind of a live preview of the Gatsby site um, on Gatsby Cloud. And then when they click save, you know, it sends off the webhook and does the build. And so functionally from like someone living in the CMS, like they don't need to know that Gatsby exists. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, if you use WordPress today, does a WordPress user really know how the site is like packaged and 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 shipped, you know, like the presentation layer part. Like, right. do they really get what's going on? Like, they they largely don't. You know, they're just like they live inside the CMS, and then how those you know the the bits of information they're retaining gets on the internet and delivered to somebody is not of interest. Yeah, to them. And so, like Gatsby, it's like 
you know, what we're doing with, you know, WordPress, Drupal, you know, all the headless CMSs, we're kind of acting in that same sort of capacity that we're fitting in and like so seamlessly that you don't even know what's happening. So like with WordPress, you know, it's like we, we have experimental support for like you click the preview button in WordPress and just pops open, you know, a preview, but it's like now Gatsby cloud preview instead mm-hmm. of like the WordPress preview. And you click save and we can just show a little spinner or something until Gatsby cloud reports back that now it's like live on right. the internet. So somebody could like swap out PHP, the PHP layer in WordPress and just have Gatsby and everyone living in WordPress, you know, would never know the difference. Yeah, that's interesting. So the marketing person, they think they use WordPress for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and they do, yeah. But then when they click preview, like put their site, they think it's on WordPress, but it's actually on Gatsby. Yeah. It's on both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a different tool to kind of deliver it. Well, you're definitely right that there's no one size fits all CMS. And there's so, and because publishing is such a personal or a, mm-hmm. a localized workflow. We've built our own platform for podcasting for years because, mm-hmm. you know, we were on Tumblr and then back when Tumblr was where you had to be and then we were on WordPress. And yes, you can use WordPress for publishing podcasts. Mm-hmm. And yet it didn't fit into our workflow. It didn't mm-hmm. work the way we wanted to work. And so as developers, we're like, well, we'll build our own platform mm-hmm. and now we can tweak and customize it to work the way that we work. Because yeah. even that, even amongst podcasts, like our site's open source, people use it all the time to read and see, check out what an open source Elixir Phoenix app looks like, but they don't use mm-hmm. it to build their own podcasting platform because it's for changelog. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's open source because of course, but yeah. it's not a platform, a generic platform. It's a customized platform because we wanted customization. And so even amongst podcasters, you wouldn't find our CMS probably all that useful Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing podcasts the way that we do podcasts. And so even amongst, you could say, well, we would do a podcast CMS. Yeah, you can hit the 80%, but it would be hard to hit the 80% in all these different areas, right? News, podcasting, e-commerce, yeah. et cetera. Um, I mean, blogging or generic. Mm-hmm. A WordPress competitor would be the most obvious choice if you just say, what kind of CMS would we build? It'd be like, well, pages and posts and images, you know, but what fun is that? Yeah. But like WordPress and Ghost, you know, like WordPress and Ghost already exist. So like, right. And what fun is it to have another one of those? When you yeah, can... yeah. I mean, there's like decades, literally decades of, of effort going into make making them awesome. So we're like, let's just keep using WordPress. Like, don't don't stop using WordPress. Just uh, yeah. you know, swap out the front end so you don't have to worry about like hosting or security or updating plugins, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you can worry about like because like WordPress is like everyone agrees the CMS is amazing, but uh, you know, the, the operation of the website and the development experience and the ease of pulling in other services and the ease of building sort of like application type stuff. Everyone quite agrees that that's not so pleasant. Yeah. And I'd actually argue that like, there's not enough CMSs, you know, kind of like your experience. It's like, there's a lot of value in building something specific to your needs. Like one of the coolest conversations I've had with a Gatsby user is it's like this little two-person agency in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And they started using Gatsby with a really kind of like rudimentary uh, CMS that they built for like political activist websites. So it's like a lot of like, well, political activism, um, a lot of like campaign websites, just, just kind of everything in that genre. And they built this like CMS that's like super specific to that kind of like world. And then they built a Gatsby theme 
that kind of encompasses, you know, the the maybe five different faces or something mm. that these different websites can go. And he was just like almost like cackling on the website because he was like, <laughs> he's like, I can build a site in like minutes because he just like, you know, goes to Netlify and like tweaks some environment variables and like points at an instance of the, uh, of the C, you know, the CMS that he built yeah. and like voila, off it goes, you know. And it wasn't hard at all for him to build that because like, you know, because like when you split, when you kind of like decouple all the different aspects of the traditional CMS, like all of a sudden, like building the admin part and the workflows in there becomes a much more approachable task. Yeah. Um, because you're not sure. worrying about like, well, how do we actually build the website and how do we like run it and deploy and all that? Because like Gatsby, because those are, you know, those are super complicated. But like Gatsby can handle that. And then you right. can just like plug in your data from whatever uh, it is. Yeah. You can have like a, a Cambrian explosion of, of small mm-hmm. focused CMSs. Because all you're building out is the workflows that are custom to that particular yeah. vertical, and you can make it super for them, and you don't have to worry about the the presentation layer, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Make a Gatsby plugin, source plugin, and you could have a separate yeah. team even working on the the actual website and all that. That's that's interesting possibilities. Yeah, so I, I see kind of a world where the average number of kind of content sources in a Gatsby site just keeps going up and up. You know, because like each team that's responsible for managing some part of the website, they can have something like very specific to their particular ways of managing the data. So it's like you have like a store locator, you know, page on the site. And like there's a team that's maintaining that and like updating information about location and like, you know, a new one's opening up. And so they're like, new store just opened and, you know, geo tracking, whatever. I mean, all, all the information that they need can be, you know, locked down in like some CMS instance and and they don't have to have access to anything else. They don't have to get distracted or, you know, weirded out by like the hundred other content types, you know, that other people need for managing other types of the website. And it can just be like super simple and straightforward uh, to, to kind of do their jobs. Yeah. And I think that's like really nice because, you know, if you talk to anybody who works on websites, it's not, most people do not enjoy it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I think it's just, a, it, there's just a lot of sort of incidental complexity that comes from, kind of mashing everything together in one system. That doesn't need to be that way. We're getting short on time, but I did want to ask you about Gatsby recipes before we call it a show. This is something, speaking of launches, man, you've been launching. Yeah. You launched yeah. this one a couple of days ago, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just last Thursday, yeah. A uh, yeah. passion project of yours, something you're interested in. Tell us about Gatsby recipes. Yeah, so Gatsby recipes is sort of like a new automation framework that we're adding to Gatsby. Basically, it can kind of take like a lot of routine tasks that you need to do with a website and you can pull those things into a recipe. And a recipe is like an MDX file, which like maybe at first blush sounds really weird, but it's like Markdown and, and React components. Okay. And we wanted to kind of, of follow. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. Uh, we wanted though to follow a, a kind of like a literate programming style thing. Uh-huh. Um, where you could like describe what you're doing and then, the, and then the steps. Yeah, it's like tell the story through it. Because we think that's really helpful for kind of like scaffolding, you know, kind of code. Yeah. Because scaffolding is all about like, why is this website the way it is? You know, it's like, and it's like you chose different pieces for specific reasons. And so if you can say like, well, this is the recipe that sets up the CMS you know, and kind of like the components that like use the data from that CMS, then it's like, you know, you can look at a site, like a site directory with like all these different files and config things and whatever, and then you could like pull it out, extract it into 
recipes that there's some sort of coherent story around that. So you can be like, here's my DevTools recipe and like, install some NPM packages, it, you know, add some dot files. Uh, maybe it hooks up Cypress, you know, Cypress Cloud, uh, you know, maybe like using Storybook. So it configures that and it like hooks up to, you know, kind of like cloud service for running that. Anyways, and so it just kind of combines all those things. But it's not just like telling the story, but it's also it's like when you're starting a new project, you know, you can reuse these recipes. Yeah. And so you can just like, okay, for this project, you know, we want WordPress, we want Shopify, um, we need our kind of a normal kind of like developer setup with like TypeScript and and, and Cypress and Jest. And, uh, you know, we're going to set up like CircleCI. Uh, you know, we're going to use Gatsby Cloud, of course, to kind of do the CI, CD. And then we're going to like set up uh, Fastly for, for hosting and like Azure for functions. I don't know. You just like throw them together all these different things. Right, right, right. Um, and then you can have like recipes for each of these. And, you know, at the start of the project, Instead of like going to each one and like tediously kind of configuring it and like you know clicking new and grabbing API tokens, et cetera, et cetera, you just like run the the, run the stack recipe. of recipes and it's like and like you know when it needs to know something, it'll just like ask you information, and then you know five minutes later you have a website because you know that sounds cool, so I'm reading through some of the code as you talk mm-hmm. and even your select a recipe to run in the blog post, which will be in the show notes as well. Uh-huh. And it looks almost like a Docker file or like, it's like a, uh, you know, add yeah. this, add that, do this. It's almost, it's, it's script is another word that maybe I would use, but scripting <laughs> has more connotations. Maybe this is uh-huh. more declarative than a script would be. Yeah. Pretty cool. And so you run the recipe, set up, you know, you, you can, you can tweak it and then you can just k- click off a new Gatsby site. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, t- it takes a lot of inspiration from like infrastructure as a code uh, yeah. projects like Terraform is kind of a prominent example of that. Mm-hmm. And because, uh, like, you know, all these tools, you know, started developing like 10 ish, 15 years ago. Uh, and the reason is because as developers started moving towards like cloud uh, centric models, like all of a sudden managing all your infrastructure got a lot more complicated. And so they developed like programmatic ways of, mon- you know, of maintaining and evolving yeah. that infrastructure. And so, you know, with websites moving to the cloud as well, the same problem is emerging. That's like, wow, like three CMSs, like a form handling API and like this and that and that and like functions. And anyways, it just gets a lot more difficult to scaffold out a new project and to kind of evolve it. You're like, okay, like we launched, cool. Now we need to do this new feature. It's like, you know, back to the kind of the the, the setup stuff. Um, and, and, and this is meant to kind of reduce that uh, burden a lot. It's also another way, kind of another perspective is, you know, kind of like the monolithic to distributed CMS and kind of the mainframe to PC. It's like when you go from a monolithic to modular architecture, you know, the initial stages, there's just like a lot of energy that's unlocked because previously people who were kind of locked into the monolith and like frustrated by the limitations, Mm. all of a sudden, like this kind of sophisticated early adopters, all of a sudden they can like start building out whatever they want. And they're just like super excited. It's like, you know, a kid in a toy store sort of thing. It's like, well, I can do this and this and this. And they're just like piecing things together and it's awesome. Um, and that's like the initial stages. And that's like if you look at like kind of the homebrew computers in the late 70s, like they were buying like processors and, you know, wiring things up. And like there's all these people that are super excited about it. But things don't go mainstream until you kind of like standardize stuff a bit. And then you can like package it together into sort of a consumer friendly thing. Because like, you know, the average user of these things isn't as excited about like how things work under the hood. They just want something that, you know, you press a button, it turns on and it's, you know, generally speaking, reliable and so forth. Right. 
Yeah, so it's like headless CMSs, you know, headless WordPress, headless Drupal. A lot of people are really excited about this. A ton of people over the last few years, you know, have built a lot of things. But if you look at like the percentage uh, of kind of their adoption in the marketplace, it's like single digit, if if that, of websites, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like a very, very tiny. So there's a lot of noise, you know. There's like, woohoo, it's like there's a lot of excitement and noise around it. But the actual usage is much smaller than that. So to ask the question, of course, is, well, how do we, you know, mainstream this? Because we think it's awesome, you know? It is amazing. It's like like once you get there and you're building a Gatsby site, it's incredible, you know? You're super productive. The websites are super fast. They're, like, really cheap and easy to run. Like, that's awesome. But it's like, how do we we get, you know, lots and lots of people in that same world? And, and, And to get that, it's like it's packaging things up, you know, again, that people can just, like, cool, like, this is what I need to build a website. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the famous five-minute install for WordPress, but for, you know, kind of this modular world um, is our goal. So Gatsby Recipe, so this is part of the open source project, right? It's not the, mm-hmm. it's not a Gatsby Cloud thing. It's right there in the CLI uh-huh. and uh, available now. Yeah. And there's some recipes out. Is there a place for sharing recipes? Because that's the next step then is, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Get, a, get a recipe hub out there. Yeah, that's something that's very much on our mind. Um, right now, people are just like, we, we have some official recipes that you can kind of get direct access to. And then people are just like sharing them on like guests or something like that. But a kind of a recipe hub, like you're saying, we think would be super fun. Because yeah, I mean, our hope is that there's like tens of thousands of these recipes. Like anything you can imagine doing, you can just like search and like find a recipe for that. And you're like, oh, cool. And you can like look at like five different variants. It's like, oh, they set up this way, they set up this way, they set up this way. And then you can like, remix it to kind of meet the specific needs of your project. And then like, you know, agencies, companies can develop their own sort of set of recipes that they use to to run stuff. Very cool. Kyle, well, uh, congratulations on finishing your long road to incremental builds. Uh, you can so go much. and relax now for a little yeah. while. Then you have to get yeah. back to work, I'm sure, as the, the buzz around the new stuff is out there. Of course, links to everything we mentioned are in the show notes for easy clicking. So definitely check out Gatsby Recipes. Seems like a very cool new thing. Get out there, try it, share your recipes, and uh, definitely give Gatsby a go if you haven't yet. It's got lots of interesting ideas that play React, GraphQL, all the buzzwords, mm-hmm. and uh, Jamstack. It's Jamstack. the year of Jamstack. Yeah, it's coming. So thanks, Kyle, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Jared. Alright, sign up in the comments and share what you think about the Jamstack. Is it the future? Is it coming? Is it here? Are you using it? What do you think about incremental builds? What about the story Kyle shared? Is it inspiring to you? What are you building? Hop in the comments and let us know. Of course, you can comment on all our podcasts at changelog.com. Open your show notes and click discuss on changelog news. We'd love to hear from you. One of the easiest ways you can support us is by telling your friends about this show. The easiest way for podcasts to gain new listeners is by hearing it word of mouth, not marketing, not anything else. So tell your friends and we appreciate it. Special thanks to the Beat Freak Breakmaster Cylinder for all of our beats. And of course, thank you to our awesome sponsors and partners who get it, Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar. And as you know, we have a master feed. This master feed brings you all of our podcasts in one single feed. It is by far the easiest way to listen to everything we ship. Head to changelog.com slash master to subscribe or search for Changelog Master in your podcast app. You'll find us. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you next week.